When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. But from what we do know, we know that statistically, Black women actually have the highest rate of infertility. If they go into the regular GYN, they might got a 15-minute slot. I had bills to pay, was just newly engaged at the time and planning a wedding. And it was, I did, I put my health in the back burner, as many of us do. Yeah. I don't believe that God made us as women to suffer and we don't have to. Welcome. You are tuned into Monuments to Me, brought to you by Revolt. This podcast is a space for honest and relevant conversations meant to recharge Black women and inspire you on your journey. We're your hosts, Akila Friend and Ty McRae, and each week we'll be addressing a range of topics from self-care, entrepreneurship, to politics and relationships. Join us as we explore the ups and downs and bask in the joys of Black womanhood. Welcome back to Monuments to Me, a podcast brought to you by Revolt. This is for Black women, those who love Black women, and really those who want to support and really learn more, at least on this episode, about fertility. We are joined. Who's the we, by the way? <laughs> I'm Akila Friend, one of the co-hosts. And I'm Ty McRae. And today we are joined by Dr. Soyini Hawkins, who is... Dr. Soini or Dr. Hawkins, how about you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you, ladies, for having <laughs> yes. me. Yes. This is such an important topic and one I absolutely always am absolutely excited to discuss. I am a minimally invasive gynecological surgeon, and I basically, what that means is that I do a lot of complex GYN, laparoscopic surgery, so in the most minimally invasive way so patients can get back to life, get back to their families. Um, get back to living sooner and with less pain. And I have chosen to kind of focus my efforts mainly on fibroids and endometriosis. And with that, I also take care of cysts and really any ailment that might need surgical management for women. I love that. And I feel like it's important to one, introduce you first before we get too deep into the topic, because I think not only representation matters, but the truth matters and education matters, especially in these topics. You know, oftentimes when it comes to Black women and fertility, a lot of misinformation is out there. A lot of stigmas are out there. So it's great to be joined by someone who is so renowned in the field, to be honest. We had a conversation weeks ago on fibroids, and your name came up multiple yes. times. <laughs> multiple and so times. so we really had to have you on <laughs> yes. the show to oh, really give out accurate information. And we'll just get started. There's so much we can talk about on the topic of fertility, but we know that in the research 
so often black women are not even included in these studies. And so what can you tell us about black women infertility? Are there trends that you see? What are we most likely to experience? Tell us more. Yeah, I actually love the way that you stated and positioned that question because research does matter. That is how we kind of make moves and make decisions. That's where we find where our dollars will go when it comes to legislature or more research and funding and even what companies will spend their money on. And black women need to be a part of that picture. We need to make sure that we're validated in every aspect of health because health is a part of just our human right, right? So the fact that we are underrepresented in a lot of research studies is disappointing. Sometimes we have a part to play with that because we have a lot of distrust in the system. And we as medical professionals, I'm talking to myself and my colleagues, we have to figure out a way to help turn that around, especially for black women, so that we can be more included and capture that information. But from what we do know, we know that statistically, black women actually have the highest rate of infertility. Really? really? Yes. Super surprising and shocking for most. Wow. Is, I feel How? like there's such a hypersexuality yes. of black women. Yes. The welfare queen with multiple kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. I would have never guessed that. Absolutely. Black women have the highest rate of infertility. Highest rate Break of infertility. Break it down. Yes. yes. Which also does not, unfortunately, actually stratify itself to show that we have the highest rate of seeking infertility help. Because okay. we have the highest rate of infertility per capita, right? Mm-hmm. Percentage-wise. We should also be the one ones that are getting more IVF and getting access to that type of care, but we're not. Why do you think that is? I have a few ideas. A lot of it is because the conversation is not being had and being had early enough. Mm. We have a lot of cultural norms. We have a lot of misconceptions. We have a lot of myths. Like you said, we're hypersexual. Mm. If we're suffering from pain, no, it's not endometriosis, which can affect our fertility. It's PID. You know, we're not given the benefit of the doubt that we actually are worthy of being protected our fertility our wombs being protected yes early or even Mm. worthy of a pain-free life some people think that the pain is normal it's just a part of the process of being a woman of being a black woman specifically Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and so that doesn't open up the doors for us early Mm -hmm. enough and so Mm -hmm. then the conversation comes maybe later i never say too late because i always i'm a woman of faith and i feel like we just have to make room for god to work sometimes but i don't want the first time a person is hearing that egg freezing is the option to be when they're 41. Yeah. Like we should have had that conversation at 25. Okay. Oh, at 25. Because, you know, to be honest, we were talking before this and I was like, you know, what? usually when we hear about that, okay, freezing your eggs, when to do it, it's at 34, 35. I feel like mm-hmm. that's when, even though we've had, and I think it's more normalized now than it was when I was growing up, but still it seems to me as something I can do later in my 30s mm-hmm. versus now. And so you're saying from 25, you should be I having that the conversation. conversation mm. should start earlier. Mm. Can I interrupt? Absolutely. When you say the conversation should start at 25, but with who? Is it between the woman and her doctor? Do you think as a community we need to talk about it more? Who should this 25-year-old talk to? Both. Because that's how we'll reach people. We get most of our early education about our womanhood, our sexuality, and just like, you know, what's acceptable and unacceptable, maybe from our girlfriends mm-hmm. and our family members, our auntie, the cool auntie that's like, girl, come here. Right. About this. And I love it. <laughs> That's true. She didn't say mother. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. 
reality says yes. that we actually have those conversations with people we're comfortable having a conversation with. Hopefully that's our healthcare providers. Mm. Hopefully that's a trusted somebody that we've been going to and, you know, is going to give us the actual statistics and literature and educated part of it and plans of what to do next. But, but the conversation sometimes really is between girlfriends. That's true. And sooner the better, not because... We might be in the position mentally or financially at 25. Maybe if we start to plan for it at 25, we'll be able to do it at 35. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Because a lot of times at 25, you're not thinking about family planning. Mm-hmm. Child, that's the furthest. And we try not to get pregnant. Listen. We're trying to have a hot girl summer. Trying to, trying, trying for about 10 it. years. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> trying to straight kick it. I remember what 25 was like. But then at 35, when we start to, that thought process starts to develop, to find yourself in a position where you're trying to figure it out and it might take five years and now we're 40 and the eggs were much better at 25, honestly. Uh, I love what you're saying. I I was just (laughs) trying to think through just fertility overall, like that conversation, let's say when you're 25 versus when you're 30, 35, 40. What does it include? Because freezing your eggs is not the only option, right? But that's the one that at least... I know about and I would talk about, but I'm thinking to myself now, I'm not in a stage or in a period of my life where a child needs to be anywhere near me if they're not, <laughs> they're not my little niece or nephew. <laughs> but if at the same time, I do want a child in the future. Yeah. So what are the things that I should have done five years ago? I'm now 30 that I now can do now or the, the conversations I should have, let's say five years from now, if that doesn't yeah. necessarily happen naturally, like just what are the stages to fertility discussions? I would say that the best way that we can kind of protect our potential future fertility, because not everybody wants a pregnancy, right? right? But sometimes that even that thought, when I'm young, I don't want children, might change later. So protecting it, I think, is what's important for a lot of young women. So we know, I think, inherently that we should try to avoid STDs and stay safe sex all the time because things like chlamydia can impact your fertility. And that's a silent STD. A lot of times women won't even have symptoms from it, but it's kind of tearing up their inside potentially. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm living healthy lifestyles. Not smoking tobacco is huge. Kind of don't talk about as much because there's not as many people smoking as it was when we were younger and in the 70s and 80s. Um, But there are a lot of women that still. Would you include vaping in that? I would include vaping in that. Correct. What about hookah? Asking for a friend. Yeah. So, so educate me on hookah. Does hookah contain nicotine? I think it does. Tobacco. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It contains tobacco and nicotine. Nicotine, the addictive element in tobacco is what really is the more caustic element. Yeah. I'm on it. Let me. Can I say? Yeah, you can say it all. Say, say that C B D T H C. I wouldn't necessarily include that. Okay. To be honest with you, <laughs> good. It's good. We just. <laughs> but things like caffeine intake. Oh, mm-hmm. that's a big one. That's a big one. How big is it? It's like, <laughs> like how many cups? One, one cup, cup a day. day. Oh, okay. And, and chillax. Okay. Oh, okay. I thought you said by having one cup a day, it would... Some people are pouring back two, three cups a day. And it's actually not the healthiest thing to do. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Who needs an alarm in the morning 
when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff. Ba da ba ba ba. Stress impacts fertility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So those are things that I think, as women, it speaks so much to just our overall well-being. Period. Yeah. Um. But it does actually impact fertility very directly. There are studies that show that. So what makes black women the most likely to experience infertility? Yeah. So go back to your first question. Because we're not being included in the research, Mm -hmm. that question is not easy to fully understand and really break down. A part of the hypothesis to that is things like PCOS. Please, for the people listening, explain all the acronyms for us. Yes. So PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome is actually a disease of the ovary itself, yes, but more so of the endocrine system, meaning the system that produces your estrogen, your testosterone that allows you to ovulate and get pregnant. Um, The syndrome part of it is the metabolic part that actually puts women at risk for increased rates of prediabetes, hypertension, obesity, especially like truncal obesity around Mm -hmm. that midsection area. And black women do have a higher proportion of suffering from PCOS. Because it contributes to infertility, because it has an anovulatory factor to it, where we're just not ovulating. People with PCOS don't ovulate regularly, monthly, like the normal population. Then that, too, has a part to play with infertility. Wow. And then you also mentioned endometriosis. Yeah. Endometriosis. So, yeah, explain that. Wow. I actually <laughs> just did a summit yesterday <laughs> on endometriosis, which I'm extremely proud of with the um, Society of Women's Health. <laughs> Of black women's health. Let me clean that okay. up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because I think it, we're past the days of shadowing or muting ourselves. Mm. As black women, it's okay for us to want to take care of us in a dynamic way. That's and it. that's what that whole that's symposium it. was about. And it was specifically about endometriosis because, again, we're not going to be quiet about the fact that for a long time, it's always been thought to be a white woman's, skinny, tall white woman's disease. And black women were thought to just you know, have pain for other reasons, like PID, honestly, mm-hmm. public infectious disease, mm-hmm. STDs. Like that was the reason we were in pain, not because we could have endometriosis. Wow. Really? <laughs> uh-huh. Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so we weren't getting qualified. We weren't getting a diagnosis and therefore we weren't getting the treatments. So mm-hmm. people with endometriosis, that says about 10% of the population, maybe 1% is what they're claiming are black mm-hmm. women. That is not true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is not true mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. Um, but now we're making enough noise and we're educating providers, mm-hmm. even doctors like myself, to say, look at the patient again. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're not leaving her out of all the possibilities of her mm-hmm. pain because it matters. Yeah. Endometriosis is one of the biggest risk factors for infertility. Is it one of those things, because when we were talking again with um, folks who are experiencing fibroids, had mm-hmm. fibroids, like had the surgery, but it's always a risk of, there's no full cure, you know, yeah. so it can come back. Is that the same with PCOS and endometriosis? Yes. So, okay, so how does fertility care come into play with those type of things where it's just always a part of you, it seems like. Yeah, it's always a part of you, especially in your, in, mainly in your reproductive years, because as women, what dynamically makes us women are that we have a uterus mm. and we have ovaries that produce hormones. And the hormones that are produced by our ovaries are what affect all of these disease processes. Fibroids grow because of hormonal influence. Endometriosis hurts because of endome- our hormonal influence and PCOS's off balance because of the off balance of these hormones. So it uniquely is us 
It's yeah. no running away from it. That's why it's chronic diseases mm-hmm. and not something you kind of want and done get rid of, even right. if you have surgery or take medicine or things like that. It has to be managed chronically. And I share mm-hmm. that and express that with my patients, even though you're coming to see me as your surgeon, I can take care of what's going on right now, mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. But I can't do anything about what has happened and how it's gotten to this point, unfortunately. And I also think it's important for us to discuss how we can maybe decrease the risk of it recurring. But one of the recurring conversations with Black women seems to be getting adequate medical care. And I say Black women, but in this conversation, any human with a uterus. If you're a person with a uterus, how do you ensure that you get the right medical care in general? And so many people will go to somebody, get... Perhaps not the best advice. Maybe they won't speak to a specialist like you who knows the minimally invasive treatment or is equipped to do them. So what is that process of advocacy? Like, what do you recommend? Yeah. And I think the key is, again, in your question, I so love how you state them. Advocacy. You have to be your best advocate. Mm-hmm. Honey, I got two little boys at home. Mm-hmm. Believe me, mama is. Mm-hmm. I'm on you. Like, white <laughs> on rice. Because <laughs> I'm going to be their best advocate. We as women have to be our best advocate when we go in places where we're seeking help and seeking care, like our provider's office. Come in there understanding what your symptoms are. Maybe you don't know what the disease is. We got to mm-hmm. do the investigational work, but give me something to work with. So go in there and give them everything. Mm-hmm. Don't leave anything out because then, you know, I can't get all the pieces of the puzzle to put it together. And then I actually don't ever mind when my patients also come armed with maybe even their opinion on some options. Like I yeah. Google this, I Google that. What do you think about this for me? What do you think about that? I, no matter what, me, the way I set up my practice, I'm going to give you all of those options. But to your point, if they go into the regular GYN, they might got a 15-minute slot. That's it. They mm-hmm. got 15 minutes. Why do we do that, that to ourselves Why? in the U.S.? <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> Speak it. Again, why do we do ourselves like that in the U.S.? Because... It's a system. It really is. And the more corporate the system, the more those restrictions are there. It just is. And for some economical systems, it works. And it's necessary to do that, to get patients seen, to get, you know, insurance covered, whatever it might be. Again, I'm very proud of the fact that I've been able to construct my practice and my private practice exactly in the fashion that I knew I wanted to be taken care of as a patient. So I spent 45 mm-hmm. minutes with every patient. That's period. great. So often people yeah. say the solution is find a black care provider mm-hmm. and... I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't live in Atlanta. <laughs> and for many people, that's not an option. So yeah. is it asking the right questions? You mentioned knowing your symptoms. Is it getting a second opinion? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So I've always told patients, if your doctor means well by you and they want the best for you, they will never mind you getting a second opinion, mm-hmm. right? They will never mind you questioning them even in a respectful way, mm-hmm. but asking for more because Unfortunately, parts of medicine, especially gynecology, being a surgical subspecialty, sometimes the doctors are only offering what they can do. Exactly. Exactly. We talked about that. Right. And my mother told me a really scary story. She told about this doctor who recommended hysterectomy to like her and all her friends. And we couldn't tell if it was bias rooted in racism or was it, again, the only option that this person was aware of as a solution. And used to doing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It could be 
I don't want to say it's possible that it's both, but it, yeah. some of it could be both. There, are, There is something called explicit but implicit bias, and they just don't but even know. I love it's how we assume that everything's implicit. Come on now. It's like, Come on now. Especially in this field where you guys have to do so much research consistently. I'm like, that, this is, this is the, 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 you can't blame a lack of knowledge I, or a lack of... Right. Statistically, <laughs> I'm trying to give them a little bit. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Them a little bit. No, no. The rope is tight here. I want to know, Dr. <laughs> no, Dr. Hawkins, like, usually there's a reason people get into specific things, right? Mm-hmm. Did you have a reason for wanting to get into yeah. this specific field of surgery, especially focusing on minimally invasive? Because I think that's a great key word to call out, like, you know, especially when you're thinking of surgery. Yeah. So what made you decide to do this specifically? I have, it's my personal journey, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. I went through, I had fibroids. I suffered for about a year and a half with my fibroids. I was late in the diagnosis. I didn't even know they were there. Not that I wasn't going to get health care. I was going to the doctor every year, but he just did not tell me my uterus was enlarged um, until I was hurting. And then the symptoms immediately came down on me like rain. And within a year and a half, I did something about it. But I also in that surgery, I had an open abdominal myomectomy, found out I had stage four endometriosis. Mm. Right. So all these type of feelings and emotions and questions are running through my mind about my fertility. And, you know, I just got married and all those things. And I remember what it was like to be that patient. And I also did seek a minimally invasive route, but I was so far gone in my disease process, it wasn't an option for me. So I had my eyes, I was already an OBGYN resident, and I had my eyes on that subspecialty because I felt like I was surgically inclined. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that portion of everything. I'm like of all the different subject matters I could go into, but more specifically minimally invasive because I knew and understood the potential benefit of that for the disease process I specifically suffered from. And I really want to apologize if this at all sounds critical. It's not meant to, but you were a doctor. You're in your residency focusing on OBGYN and you didn't know that this you had these two diseases. Is it because you're in a work environment where it's high pressure and you're so focused on these goals, you're not paying attention to symptoms? Like, how did, can you tell me more? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. that is actually a great question because I asked myself, that. <laughs> how do you ain't know? You could be on that TV show. <laughs> Pregnant and not. And and not. not. <laughs> right? um, but a couple of different things. I wasn't symptomatic. I didn't have any symptoms. I didn't mm. have heavy cycles. I was on continuous birth control mm. because your girl was just trying to get through her degrees, right. right? I was a student when I got, I was in my last year of medical school when I got diagnosed. I was in my first year of residency when I got treated. And I even asked myself, why did you suffer for so long? Because I had options early on, but I was working 100-hour weeks, yeah. right? I had bills to pay. Mm-hmm. I, I was just newly engaged at the time and planning a wedding. And it was, I did, I put my health in the back burner, as many of us do. Yeah. Yes. Um, or you can attribute that health yeah. to those other reasons. Like, oh, this yes. is why. Um, once the wedding is over, I'll feel better. Pray, once I graduate. I would get better. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I would get better and wouldn't need surgery. And I agree. Like, even looking back at it now, I don't know what I was thinking. I knew the, uh, you know, what was absolutely the end game for me. But I suffered. Again, why I go into this, I don't believe that God made us as women to suffer and we don't have to. And women need to know they have options around getting relief, whatever that might look like. And there's so many options out there. And without having that minimally invasive designation, sometimes we lose those options in a generalist because they might only know how to do a hysterectomy 
or a open myomectomy, whereas I'm like, girl, we can shrink this thing. We could take them out. We mm-hmm. could observe it and do imaging. Like we could, there's so many more options wow. out there. Short of cancer, hysterectomy is not your only option okay. ever. And I find that when I read the statistics, black women are so much less likely to even be referred to yes. someone who's able to yep. do this. Did those feelings come back? Like, I'm assuming first came marriage and the baby and the mm-hmm. baby carriage. Like, so I'm assuming you had you had your boys after getting married and after this surgery and all of this. Did those, how did you, when you were finally ready to conceive and have children, like, what were your feelings? Did you think it would come back? Did you feel like you needed surgery again? What, yeah, what happened? At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. There's a lot of anxiety around that and still is because mm. I'm still a reproductive age. Yeah. I moved like fire. Once I decided to do something, your girl did something. I had my first child in my fourth year residency. I had my second child in my second year fellowship. Mm-hmm. I was still a student when I had my children because I wasn't. I was in a position, which is not every woman's position. I was in a position to go ahead and have my children. So I did that. When you say you were in a position, was it, you're talking about financial, just your life circumstances? Yeah. Yeah. I had the support system. I had my husband. He was ready. I was ready. We had some financial stability. Yeah. And I was in a supportive system too, because it's not easy to have babies in residency. Like a lot of women feel like they can't, um, especially a lot of black women, because they don't want to be shadowed as the you know like you're putting your family ahead of your career yeah were you pressured because of the surgery because I, I heard and this is from one source so i don't know if it's true or not but that after you get let's say specifically for fibroids taken out within the first six months you should get pregnant or else and, you might have to and try endometriosis again. oh not yeah. so much in the first six months endometriosis specifically if you have what we call resection surgery or endometriosis surgery to take care of the endometriosis your most fertile time period after that surgery is really the months after, like when you heal. Oh. So after three months of healing, about that next year is going to be when you're at your best from a fertility standpoint, your pelvis. Because imagine we've kind of cleaned everything up, get you a new baseline, mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. reset. But every month that passes in time, you potentially can put down new disease. Mm-hmm. Same for fibroids, much slower usually. So I wouldn't say, you know, you need to be in a rush rush, but the statistics show that the recurrence of fibroids could be as high as 40 to 60 percent within five years of an intervention. That weighed on me. So, again, because I was in a position to do so, I moved on it because I did have a fear of my fibroids coming back and needing to have surgery. I made a lot of lifestyle modifications. I cut out a lot of different things. Tell us all about that. Yes. (laughs) Details. I was like, okay, what can I do? Mm -hmm. So much we can't do. We can't change our genetics. Mm -hmm. I can't change my melanin. I can't, you know, I have vitamin D deficiency. I'm going to support and supplement that. That's a huge one because our melanin actually blocks the sun. So we just genetically are going to be more vitamin D deficient. And vitamin D deficiency actually is shown to increase your fibroid growth rate. 
and then I stop eating red meat. Can I ask a question yes. about that? Is that correlation or causation? Because black women have more fibroids and we have less melanin, or it's specifically vitamin S- D? Specifically vitamin D. D. Thank you, friends. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's that cellular. comes up on every report, yeah. literally, I hear. It's cellular. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. cellular. It's the way that our cells actually um, repair themselves. Vitamin D is essential to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you Good cut out know. red meat. <laughs> red meat. So beef and pork were gone. Processed food, McDonald's, all of that stuff gone. I stopped perming my hair at that point and went natural. Yeah. It was a journey. So questions. <laughs> <laughs> And I keep interrupting, so we keep As, a, no, 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 get us go, back go, on go, 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 go. But with the beef and the pork, I hear that well because our food isn't good. But if you're eating like grass-fed, healthy versions of these things, or you're saying just cut it cut out, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying just cut it out because if you had to choose something to do, that's probably what you have the most control over. And beef and pork inherently have higher estrogen byproducts in them mm. so it has even tofu to do. as well i heard has. tofu soy products yeah. soy products so yeah. I, I also tell patients no you have to go straight vegan right like give yourself some options and if you do eat poultry mm. do eat grass-fed poultry if you can to cut out some of the additives that they put in that yeah you know uh fish seafood things like that are gonna be your healthier options right Dairy is kind of up and down. To be honest with you, research is not conclusive, but some people are sensitive to it and it causes them to have inflammatory reaction in their body. So if you know you're allergic to dairy or you have an inflammatory reaction to dairy, gluten and things like that, inflammation does a lot to our system. It makes it harder for our system to clean itself up. So it, sometimes it's personalized. Sometimes it's like, well, you know you're allergic to that. Right. Stop playing, sis. <laughs> Listen, I'm not even trying to get pregnant. <laughs> but, but if I were like to cut out cut all, all of these things, I'd be a brand new woman. Yeah. Brand, brand new, new woman. woman. <laughs> all I know, I would tell my child every day, you know what it took <laughs> to get your ass here. <laughs> right? I, I can't I even taste steak like anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what else? So no dairy. What else did you do? Diet, exercise. Diet, exercise. Mm-hmm imperative because that's just good for your body period mm. like sometimes i literally talk to some of my patients be like S- you know what you're supposed to do do what you're supposed to do yeah it's hard yeah i ain't gonna, i'm not gonna mm-hmm. downplay it mm-hmm. we know what kind of diet we should be in yeah. we know that we should be exercising four or five times a week. you know we know what we should be doing and it's not even a fertility question but it was me this morning mm-hmm. so if i have to choose between that extra hour of sleep or the exercise mm-hmm. what do, what do i go for mm-hmm. believe it or not that sleep is important that sleep is you should have never right. told me that <laughs> yeah. no say if it louder you're not, if you're not already getting eight hours so if you're going for nine ten you're trying to knock yeah, out right. part I've, I've never got <laughs> exercise see you know Dr. Hawkins you didn't have to say that part I was ready to show everyone I need more sleep y'all <laughs> so if you already get your eight hours then I don't know if I could justify adding another two I am not already getting eight hours and this morning was struggle it was bus tough. it was tough but I went to the gym Wow. I didn't end with that part. Yeah, it was yeah. tough, period. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> you don't miss it. I looked at the clock like, why are you trying to wake me up? Right. Seven, <laughs> but I have a question. You're almost describing a lifestyle yes. that feels really luxurious mm-hmm. and one of privilege. So when you work with black women patients, how do you help them achieve this? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the sleep alone feels like a luxury yes, when people yeah. have any responsibility and black women are caregivers for themselves not even just their children cousins like t- how do you work with your patients around yeah. this i think that is important for us to realize hopefully what resources we might have where we can ask for help 
Because some half of the problem sometimes is we just honestly don't want to get any assistance from anybody or ask that baby daddy to come pick this child up Mm -hmm. so I can go work out. Or something that is more self-care. Self-care, we use that word, I want to say loosely now, but you're right. It's not something that a lot of women just feel like they have the privilege to just do self-care. And I'm not talking about going to the spa. I might be talking about taking a walk in your backyard, what we kind of want to call a garden. It might be weeds, but hey. Right. Yeah, it's green. green. Cool. It's we green. got butterflies out there. That peace and that stillness, you know, might help some women, um, but we won't breathe or find a way to ask for help. So resources are going to look different for everybody. Sometimes the resources is our mamas and our aunties and our cousins to take a break and press pause. Sometimes the resources is going down to the health center to go get that checkup because I don't have insurance or calling the hospital and find out what kind of assistance can they get because I need this fibroid and endometriosis mm-hmm. surgery. Will they pay for it? Because a lot of times the answer is yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if we don't ask, we don't know. Building community gardens because it's expensive to go to Whole Foods. That's not in everybody's budget, mm-hmm. but maybe a community garden where we're growing our own healthy fruits and vegetables. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. You know, it's cheaper to go get something off of the dollar menu at McDonald's than it is to go to, you know, a steakhouse and order dinner. It's not in everybody's wheelhouse, but a community garden might be something that helps bridge that gap to get more nutritional Mm -hmm. supplements to our communities. So there are a couple things that can be done, but I 100% agree with you. That's why I love now what social media is doing for us and that we're able to reach out for help, find out, okay, sis, how did you get it done? How did you get in with that doctor? What Mm -hmm. specialist did you see? Was there something that you you were able to use to get some funding or some grants or something to help you? We can literally... DM a lot of people and get answers to questions about That's great. That's a good point. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Speaking of resources, I'm just thinking a lot about like the costs of treatment, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously we're saying PCOS, endometriosis, fibroids, things of that nature, very much sounds expensive just saying it, right? (laughs) Expensive surgeries. But at the same time, that's cost of treatment, but also cost of care for someone, you know, even though it's higher in black populations, not everyone has this and may want to still seek fertility treatment or just resources as they undergo that process. Talk a little bit so more about cost. Because so <laughs> this is a this is a new thing that I've been starting to tell people because I've had a couple patients give me this gem. Mm. Go work for Starbucks. Okay. Go work for child's about to say IBM. Does IBM still around? Apple. <laughs> oh, Google. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say yeah. almost Go work for every, IT. Every yeah. every tech company provides yeah. really well not every the majority of the majority them. of mm-hmm. them. Some of these young startup companies, they care. Yeah. And if you can position yourself to go work for a company that actually cares about fertility and has it as a part of their health package, that actually gives you a step up. I literally was going driving through Starbucks the other day, and this is why I start telling people this now. And I was putting my order in, and the young lady on the thing said, Dr. Hawkins, that's you. <laughs> and I drove up to the window to get my thing, and it was one of the nurses from the hospital. Wow. I was like, oh, R and N, what are you doing? And she was like, girl, I quit that job because Starbucks is going to pay for my IVF. 
Wow. Period. Wow. And I was like, do it. I don't, I'm not mad at that. Isn't that something? Like, that is mind blowing. And that Starbucks probably ain't paying no money to y'all. And it's sponsored. You know what I'm saying? Even, even, right. But I had to tell the people. Right. Tell the people all the, all the brands. But that's, that's, there's so much, there's so much. Come on, staff. We got to get together in the staff. But there's so much to that. And RN, Starbucks, because of the quality of care, even though you are literally, we're in the healthcare industry. But it also shows that there was a woman who thought enough about it to prioritize it. Yes. Because I think the same way you put your health on the back burner, Mm -hmm. maybe if you're a woman who wants to have a kid, this is no offense to those Mm -hmm. who, they're like, I'm going to keep praying about it. But like, how about you pray and be intentional too? And do the work. And do the work. Do the work. Put yourself in the positions and situations that are going to help get you to. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So we're talking about cost of care. Are there other, maybe you can go through like, what are the low cost options to help people besides diet and exercise? And I hope we got your whole list because I kept interrupting. (laughs) (laughs) But what are some of the low cost options? And maybe like, what are some of the higher costs? Like what's the spectrum? Sure. So some of the low cost options really depend on why the that question, right? Why is there a fertility barrier for the particular patient? If it's PCOS, sometimes they can do what's called stimulation to create ovulation, right? Mm-hmm. To make your eggs actually mature and get more in a month. And that's not very cost prohibitive for most women. Insurance covers it. There are different medications that can stimulate, again, make more natural ovulation like metformin. Again, depending on what we're trying to treat, Mm -hmm. what is a causative factor for the infertility, getting resources to get the surgery if the surgery is standing in the way, um, sometimes can be free. If the hospitals have to write off a lot of money each year to, to, so they can hand out free surgery. I do a lot of free surgery. And then some of the more, where the the cost starts to add up is when you do have to delve a little bit more into reproductive assistance with REI facilities or compound because they, REI meaning reproductive endocrinologist, where they have to do things like I, which is when they do insemination, like you think about like a turkey baster that in the the doctor's (laughs) office, that gets a little bit more expensive. And then the most expensive is IVF or in vitro fertilization that can yeah. run anywhere from twenty to thirty thousand dollars. But it's it, crazy. That's the one I've heard about from the entire list you yeah, said. That high expensive. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That's Starbucks pays right. for. Right. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. That's Starbucks pays. Yes. Correct. And sometimes that's necessary. And unfortunately, where some women have to start, but not always, because honestly, like the, all the things I listed yeah. are the in betweens, and it really depends on what is the right. what is the barrier. One thing that some cultures do is they will actually like set aside money for that every year, mm-hmm. just in case they will gift it as birthday I've, gifts. I've wow. heard it as like um, yeah. college graduation gifts being yeah. gifted. Wow, yeah. like money towards just, egg freeze. Depends what college you went to. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my question, though. Do you feel like there's more of a stigma in the black community when mm-hmm. you need to seek out assistance for fertility? Yeah, I think there is more of a stigma, and like we were saying earlier, is some of the reasons that the conversations I even had in the doctor's office. I've actually had a young lady that told me she was offended that my partner brought up infertility for her in her 20s and told her about egg freeze. And she was like, I don't know why she think I'm going to need that. I mean, can I find a man? Can I get some sperm first? And I'm like, sis, don't knock it because you don't want to have this conversation first time at 40. And that's a part of, again, the hostility around how we're interacting with our healthcare providers. I also think there's also probably some parts of 
the delivery. Yes, <laughs> yes. It is a sensitive subject. Mm-hmm. It is, it, fertility is absolutely a sensitive subject. Do you think part of it, though, is, I don't want to just say broadly social media, but the public conversations we have when women do seek out assistance, yeah. we don't always treat them so well. Yeah, I know. It's taboo to have this type of discussion. We talk about normalizing everything. We yes. need to normalize these type of conversations. We need to normalize the things that are below the belt because it's what makes generations. Yeah. I'm right? thinking too, like just trying to put myself in that position, especially by the time I get to someone like you, Dr. Hawkins, I may have had multiple conversations internally <laughs> before finally, let's say with my partner, if it was that, then going to a, you know, my primary care physician and perhaps seeking someone else out and just additional, by the time I'm with you, I'm thinking, this is either one last resort or I'm pretty much like I would be perhaps just over having to tell my story mm-hmm. yet again, thinking what can you potentially do versus the next person or that person or the doctors five doctors ago. So I'm just trying to think through like the emotions of the women that you may have seen or the patients that you generally see that are black specifically. And what are they going through? What do they tell you? And and how are you kind of that beacon of light or try to mitigate that too? Because you don't want to also, I would assume you don't want to feel like everything is in your hands, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not easy, but I never, I didn't go into this with the intention of having an easy job. Right. This is ministry for me. Mm -hmm. So I can take that on. This is what I do. Right. Mm -hmm. But I have to have full compassion to the woman because of everything that you just said. So I, I mean, I sit down, you're going to get a nice comfy seat with me. We're going to talk. I want to hear about your journey. It is going to be uninterrupted. Mm -hmm. Right. I want to hear everything you have to say before I start asking my questions, because I owe that to this process, because a lot of the first 10 minutes is straight therapy. Like they're just pouring it out (laughs) because it's been frustrating in their journey thus far. And I want to respect that. That you're you're not going to get that everywhere. It just is the reality of the system that we're in. But I pray that. For the women who do not get to me, that they feel like with the communities that they have, somehow, some way, they could find their way to someone that is similar to me. And again, social media has its pros and its cons. But I won't <laughs> stop speaking about community because I didn't feel like I had a community 10 years right, ago. Right, that's what I was saying. I didn't have anybody to talk to about mm-hmm. my new diagnosis. It was scary. But we have so much community now of women that are sharing their story, really being... Honestly, beacons of hope for other women because they're sharing their success. They're sharing their hurdles. They're sharing Mm -hmm. how they came over those hurdles. And so hopefully that allows them to get a little bit more oomph, a little bit more courage, a little bit more gas to get to the point where they finally find that person that can really help them. Right. I think that's interesting. It is community and you'll need different communities for different moments in your life. And it may not always be friends and family, especially with fertility. So one company I worked at, they had a Slack channel called Frozen. And it was all the women who were freezing their eggs, coming Ooh. together, talking about, wow. and they all like trading stories about which doctor did you get? So helpful. Mm-hmm. Because I guess some people did not want to have that conversation yeah. with their families. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it can be helpful. That's such a good point. It can be helpful. And it can be, since I have y'all's attention, <laughs> sometimes media is not always helpful yeah. <laughs> in the way no, that you want sure. to portray things. Um, so I do think sometimes there is a fine line because sometimes it cannot be helpful. Unfortunately, there are sometimes women in these communities or even I don't know if I myself don't ever go into those type of chats and groups because I want it to be a safe space. True. I don't want okay. them to be like, oh, I don't want my doctor. You know, if, if something's wrong with me or what I'm doing is is not acceptable, 
Talk about it, sis. It'll get back to me. I need to mm-hmm. get that type of feedback. So I don't want to get myself in those spaces. But there are people in those spaces that are not sensitive or supportive. So mm-hmm. be careful. Mm-hmm. It's hurtful to give yourself and your all um, and spill it and then get ridiculed for it. And one of the biggest things that I feel like I kind of have to kind of stop people in their tracks in the discussion about sometimes it's hysterectomy because there are many women who chose hysterectomy because they honestly felt like that was the right and the best thing for them to do and I've been in spaces where they were like okay let's talk about how the doctors just did them wrong if they did a hysterectomy and I'm like no there's some women who freely choose there's some women who freely choose not to have children Mm yeah there's some women who freely choose to have hysterectomies or tie their tubes when they're 20 Mm -hmm. so that is again a part of reproductive justice (laughs) that is a part of reproductive justice and our human right to make those choices mm-hmm. so we also want to be careful in those communities not to ridicule people for the decisions that they make i love but that you said that too because i'm just thinking too about like when you think of fertility we're thinking about getting to that finish line getting that child like etc what is the upkeep like afterwards or that community Money. like afterwards <laughs> when it comes to just like <laughs> specifically with black women too like anything else that you may have to consider because when I think about the the journey, I'm also thinking about, okay, what happens when I'm on the other side? Yeah. And we don't always consider that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we jump and leap before we look over the Come on. What, what's down there. Right. Rocks? <laughs> or is it some soft sand? Or is it a pillow? <laughs> but there's uh, that's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to consider. And I think not to be redundant, community is huge. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have a support system. Are you going to be doing this thing kind of by yourself? Right. It sucks by yourself. And I have a wonderful support system. But in the moments that I feel alone in it, mm-hmm. I'm raising my children. It's just few and far between. It sucks. Mm-hmm. So community is huge. If you have the money financially, the resources from a um like just a, you know, dollars and cents game. If you have the support, a lot of that could be overcome. Yeah. But that's even like post, you know, let's say not children, but let's say children. post, um, you know, what is it like freezing your eggs or post all of, start, all of that community. All right. Well, you talked about what happens afterwards. Mm-hmm. In the United States, we have so little support from others. We don't have any mandatory paid leave. I know tech companies tend to be more generous in an ideal world from a medical standpoint. What would a woman have after she gives birth to support this or even throughout her health care? I or mean, we don't have these surgeries. Yeah. After ideally, she would have the option. Mm-hmm. Right. The option to say, oh, I think six weeks is enough or I want three months or I want a year. Option is what I feel like we're lacking in this society and giving women surrounding their reproductive rights. Options. Mm-hmm. Like literally just like if you choose to, how can we support you in making this ideal for you? There are other countries that have figured that out, mm-hmm. how to work. So it certainly is a way to make it work. Of course, there's, you know, we, we there's pros and cons to all of it. But just to simply be able to offer American women more options around what that ideal situation looks like for them would be great. I took off eight weeks after my children. Child, I was ready to get back to work. <laughs> but I know I have plenty of friends that love those 12 weeks mm-hmm. with their babies and that bond and that support. You know, I breastfed for 10 months. I would have loved to do it for a year and a half. But I will admit that being at work and pumping was not glamorous. Yeah. It sucked to leak in the operating room. You know what I mean? But I wanted to get back to that. That was my balance. Mm. That was my sanity. I love that. So it looks different for everyone. So having options around that timing to make it kind of fit with this idea for you and your lifestyle would be great. Like I said, like, you know, right now I'm at, not at the point where I want to have children. I do want that in my future, but not. I can't see that in the next two, three years, for instance. But what scared me also about your story, and it's not 
you know, atypical. The fact that you are going to the doctor yearly, probably getting your pap smears when you need to, doing all the things you need to do, and yet it's going undetected. And it's not because of you. It's not because, you know, I don't have these symptoms or things of that nature. So I'm just trying to think through how best to really take fertility in my own hands and resources in my own hands, even if I'm not at a stage yet where my end goal right now is because I want a child. Mm -hmm. How can I be a little bit more? Mm -hmm. In the most simplest Mm -hmm. way, be aware of your body and the changes it makes. Sometimes it's impossible for me to figure out where did I miss it Mm -hmm. along the way. I I believe in divine timing and God's timing and everything that happens in my life. So I didn't spend a lot of time analyzing that. But for a lot of women, when they tell me their stories, those uninterrupted 10, 15 minutes, they're telling me, I kind of knew my belly was getting a little bit bigger. I was having a little bit more pain with sex or I couldn't even do my sit-ups. Like even when I pushed on the gas in the car, something felt different. And sometimes it's subtle and I don't want people to be hypochondriacs. I don't want them to turn the corner and be like, I got cancer. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want those extremes of it. But our bodies kind of tell us what's going on a lot of times. Like Mm -hmm. they tell me the story when they come in and give me all their symptoms. I'm like, okay, you got this, boom. It's a story that's being told and the changes, those subtle changes in that last month, I was able to get through like two, three months with this pack of pads, but now I took one month got me through the pack of pads. The same ten dollars I had to spend for one month that used to last me for three, I had to spend one month. That's a change. Yep. Sometimes it's small and it's subtle, but that's the reason now for you to go talk to your doctor and be like, Is that okay? Is that all right? It might be okay. But what you think? Like Lead yeah. me on that, mm-hmm. um, which we don't have to wait until your annual exam. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be like, okay, I got a scheduled appointment in January. Let me wait till January. No, yeah. <laughs> you call the doctor. Mm-hmm. You tell him I got a problem and then you come in and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those type of moves, the advocacy part of it, listening to our bodies, not being hypochondriacs, but being vigilant is super, super important mm-hmm. because sometimes I have the majority of the patients with breast cancer find it mm-hmm. themselves or their partners find it in intimacy. That's so interesting. Especially not now. the doctor. Yeah. You want to claim. Right. I have found I caught your cancer. Most patients come in because they're like, I felt something different. This comes up in every episode. Yes. Being connected to your body. And it's so interesting how we live these lives that can have these fast paces and we just, we we skip over Mm -hmm. the most important thing we have. You. Skip over you. Now when you know, like, I think we're in a society, like, where I feel like, oh, by and large, women are just having children later. Right? And so I think black women too, is there anything specific that we should be vigilant about outside of just, you know, just the idea of going to get the regular care, taking care of yourself, looking at the things. Like, what are some of those things that we should also be careful about knowing that now children are happening at a later stage in life, by and large? Yeah. And that goes into the choice we talked about. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. And I think that it's a wonderful option to have, that mm-hmm. timing of family. But what will not change and has been the same since the days, since, since, since all time, is that we get older every day. Yeah. My husband likes to remind me that I complain about things, baby. You got older today than you were yesterday. It's going to happen. Your back is going to start to hurt. Your knees going to crack. Right. Our eggs are what they are when we're born. And I know you guys have heard this. Mm-hmm. And those numbers deplete every year. And at 35, they start to deplete at an exaggerated rate. And at 40, by an exponential rate. And so... That is an important thing to consider and think about when you're younger and you're like, I need to finish this master's degree. I want to get to this place in my career and I want to be in this position in the company before I have children. 
But I also want children. Yeah. But because that's what ends up happening. And we think it's going to be easy because we spend our whole younger years trying not to get trying pregnant. Trying not to do it. And yeah. when we try, we're ready and we're in that position and realize it ain't always easy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the easiness has to do with age. And sometimes the easiness has absolutely no explanation. And that's a hard pill to swallow when you have been trying not to for so long. Um, but that is a lot of women's. I mean, doctor, I'm, I done gave Michelle a whole doctor <laughs> title. I'm, I'm proclaiming it, Lord. Okay, but Michelle Obama. I knew it was going that. to Obama. Yeah. <laughs> she did. Yeah, she did. Because she did. You, you, sometimes you just don't know that it's gonna. It won't be as easy as you always fashioned it and thought it would be when you were a child growing up and I want babies. Yeah, it's not always easy. So the knowledge and understanding of it, and even this discussion that we had about Black women specifically infertility, and mm-hmm. that that the fact that we have the highest rate of infertility now. Hopefully, some of the listeners are going to be like, "Ooh." Let me consider that. Start, you know, we don't do AMH, which is anti-malarian hormone. We don't do that standardly. Like we might do a blood test for HIV and a blood test to see just where your blood count yeah. is and cholesterol standardly every year. We don't do AMH every year, but that might be something you want to go ask your doctor for. Because oh, what does that, that do? Yeah, <laughs> that, like, that tells that you your almost like not the age of your eggs, but the qual- like how many eggs you actually are kind is of. Is it something that you can request? You can request it. That is crazy. will pay for it. But it's not something we're going to just do. Yeah. I think we should, but it's just not how we were trained. It's not invasive. It's kind of like what? It's, it's blood, blood test? Blood. Blood. It's, yeah. It's the same. When they check your cholesterol, yeah. they can check your AMH. Mm. And sometimes knowing that, okay, ooh, my AMH is on that spectrum. I'm looking mm. like I got 40-year-old eggs and I'm only 30. Yeah, that's good. I need good. to consider that. If family planning is super important. Yeah. Because there are people, again, that are extremely intentional in protecting their fertility. Mm -hmm. Not that they're not going to live, not that they're not going to fulfill all the other plans that they have in their life, but they're intentional in saying, I want to protect this in this very specific way. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That intentionality, you can't really do it fully if you don't have the information. And that is a very simple test to get and kind of know. I think I learned something. Yeah, because the only thing I've been told in terms of, because I'm, I am part of that group that's very much about protecting my fertility, but the only thing I was told was the freezing of the eggs. So knowing that there are steps before Mm -hmm. that, it kind of and they're gonna draw that test before they even freeze right. to see can you freeze can you eggs? even do it mm. it doesn't it doesn't cost and a lot of so like there's there's some fertility clinics here that actually would do it for free it's like they're marketing as to to get women in the door to start having a conversation they're like okay come on in we'll check your AMH for free. Like, not even bill your insurance, like, for free, just so you can have that number and start to have a discussion about what that number means. Wow. Can I shift gears a little bit? So, speaking of fertility, I'm 38, about to be 39, and I'm watching many of my friends have miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And that's something I can't tell if it's happening more or if we're talking about it more. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about miscarriages and what you've seen and why does it feel like it's happening so much? And again, maybe we're just talking about it more. Yeah, it really is that. It is that we're talking about it more. I don't think that I've read anything in the literature that says that number has increased over time um, in any specific way or in any specific group. However... It's very similar to the infertility conversation in that when we're young, we don't really realize the number is as high as it is. And I apologize. I can't give you the exact number. No, no. But it was like one in it's 10 higher. Yeah. It's much higher than what kind of the glamorous picture looks like for many women. It's actually quite normal. Um, I see. It actually is quite normal. Most 
I don't want to say most because then that means it needs to be greater than 50 percent of women might have a miscarriage before they even have a successful pregnancy. But the number is high. OK. Yeah. And then they're able to go on and have successful. Friends. I'm sorry. But I even think not even knowing too. those statistics means that when it happens, it feels very personal yeah, and alone. you've done something yeah. wrong mm-hmm. and you start thinking about your whole life and yeah. every vegetable you didn't eat, you know, yeah. things mm-hmm. like that. So and it's good to know they're having a conversation with their doctor and their doctor is able to reassure them. Yeah. This does not mean that we can't do this again. And I've said it before and in saying it, I've also been like, ooh, was that insensitive? I've told women in my training, I used to say it like the fact that you were able to get pregnant is actually a great thing. Maybe that means that it's foresight that we can do this again, you know, in the moment. Nobody won't hear that. <laughs> but it's still, you know, that's at least for me, I, I guess I could never put myself in that moment. But it seems like at least that was a silver lining. But I thought it was. You know, right. But now on the other really side, know. in yeah. the moment. Yeah. You say that in your training and I was looking at your bio. You are a two-time historically black college university grad. Do you think... I mean, you are well, well credentialed. Um, I'm always wondering, you are so intentional about working with black women did it have anything to do with that schooling besides your personal journey? Tell us more. I think so. I'm some Jamaican. Um, hey! I was born in Jamaica. Oh, where? My parents came here, um, migrated from Jamaica with the intentional decision to get their school. And they went to Howard University and then come back and get me and my older brother and bring us here for a better life in America. And when I had options about school and things like that, I've always been studious, made good grades, did great on my tests. I was also very intentional about going to HBCU, I think, because of that example. Mm-hmm. And they thought I was going to go to Howard. I went to Xavier because I was actually very intentional about becoming a doctor. And they oh. educate and graduate the, most black, the most black doctors in America. So I wanted to go to Xavier. And then Morehouse gave me a chance. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. So I pledged that Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Hi. And child, I was all about that sorority. Yeah. <laughs> and remember, I, I said it. I thought I was a genius. Yeah. Right. So your girl ain't study for her tests. <laughs> and I ain't make good scores on that MCAT. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to take it again. And Morehouse was like, but we see the potential in you. Mm-hmm. Which not every college is going to do that. And that was a glorious ride. But it was at Morehouse because of Morehouse's intentionality about serving the underserved and bridging the gap for disparities in black people that I did get that passion to um, really make sure I was taking care of my own. And I felt like I'm in a very privileged position to do it in this minimally invasive way because I because I forfeited my life for another two years to get my fellowship training. Mm. And I feel like I'm superior even in what I do. I mean, I sit on it. I, I my first three hours of this day, remember I was yeah. telling not you, your coordinator. Summer. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm available after two because I got to sit on this four hour oh. training. Oh. And I might be the only black face, but I'm going to be here. Okay. Because I'm going to speak for us. So now I'm in the positions to actually influence, you know, my counterparts that I want to make sure that, you know, they, they're taking into consideration black women's plight and all of these women's health things. It was intentional. I'm a subspecialist. Morehouse would have loved for me going to family medicine <laughs> or be a pediatrician something like that but I think they're also still very proud of me because of the way I've used my platform what do you tell other doctors black or otherwise when you're on these summits and conferences because 
the reason I'm asking that question is one so that we know as the patients, what should we look out for when, especially as black women receiving care and knowing who to go to? Yeah. Yeah. To first approach every patient like they're just a human being, Mm -hmm. period, point blank. And then secondly, to understand that there are culturally sensitive things that will that are important to us. I was on the call I did yesterday. One of the young ladies was reminding me of something that I saw. Well, I don't know if it was on Instagram. I don't know. But it was like a little vignette where a doctor was in the room and his patient was patting her head and scratching her scalp. And he thought something was wrong. Like he thought it was a part of her diagnosis. He's like, oh, she needs a CT scan. She's patting her head. And the, the black doctor walked in and was like, nah, she just had to, she just took a braze down. She's just like, you know, her head itch. And it was that cultural sensitivity wow. that added to taking care of that patient. That was a simple vignette, Mm -hmm. but I feel I have responsibility Mm -hmm. to make sure that I can interject to be able to pull that out of them. Mm -hmm. I first want them to come from a place of every patient is a human being, period. So respect that and, and, and treat them as if they're your aunt or your cousin. But understand that there are some cultural differences that mm-hmm. are going to make us unique. And there are some things that you do need to take into consideration when you take care of these women. Okay. There is a question mm-hmm. we ask all of our guests. Mm-hmm. We're going to ask you, what is your dream for black women? It's intentionally broad. <laughs> My dream for black women is for us to just feel like we're worthy mm-hmm. of the very best. No matter where we sit socioeconomically, no matter what our past has given us and presented to us, no matter what type of family curses we think we might have, that belief of I deserve the very best in all that I do and receive, I want us to want that. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that. Yes. Where can people find you? How do they follow up? And not only where can they find you and where they follow up, is there any reading or information you you recommend for our listeners? Sure. So I am on Instagram. I pretend I'm on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) You have patience to heal. (laughs) It's really just the information from Instagram. At um, Soyini Hawkins, S-O-Y-I-N-I Hawkins, M-D. And my practice is Vibrating Public Wellness Center of Georgia. But it's very simply, I have a, I have a wonderful husband who a uh, genius in marketing. And if you go to getfibroidhelp.com, you'll find me. Love it. Repeat the name of the, the practice again. Fibroid and Public Wellness Center of Georgia. Okay. Gotcha. And I have a nurse practitioner there. I have another surgeon there who also both are very intentional. So we are trying to build a very a much a wellness center for women. You say pelvic wellness. I think of Kegels. What else? Mm-hmm. Should you do? <laughs> all of that. Mm-hmm. Acupuncture, acupuncture, exercises, yoga. Mm-hmm. All of that is a, is a part of our pelvic health. Absolutely. Yes. It. Okay. I ain't got all that at my center. We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Collective care. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and in the readings in the readings question. if you go to I mean the classic things Google NIH CDC but I like how you said NIH and CDC because you will put something in Google and it may not always be a reputable source it is the PhD in me who has to tell people please let it be peer reviewed so get off of YouTube for, yes <laughs> get up off of YouTube mm-hmm. uh, YouTube killed us during COVID oh. okay I ain't gonna go off right. I ain't gonna go off okay so mm. Back to the, back, <laughs> to, the, back <laughs> to the readings. <laughs> um, I would actually go to some resources to get 
deeper, like the White Dress Project is a wonderful resource. We have them on. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're a wonderful resource, both from a community standpoint, but also for things like what blog should I be reading? Maybe even who I should follow that is reputable. Mm -hmm. So you can be intentional about that. And then there are, I wish I had a list, a good list of authors that are talking about womb health. There's some good books out there, and I could always share that with you guys later that I think the audience might enjoy reading more specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, make sure it's credible. It's from a good source. And use your actual, like, Barbary Foundation, White Dress Project, the Society of Women's Health Imperative, like those very credible resources to dig deeper. Love it. Thank you. Thank I you. learned so much mm-hmm. today. Um, what was the name of that test? AMH? AMH. Mm-hmm. That's the one I'm going to take like tomorrow. <laughs> I learned so much yep. today. I AMH. love that. I love she that. talked about it. Yes. Thank you for your time because we know you're out there saving lives and doing so many beautiful things Just, in the black community. Yeah. So the idea that you took time out of your day to spend it with us Absolutely. is amazing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, this sure. is a worthwhile conversation. Yes. Thank you for having with, with us. Thank you. All right. And for, for those listening, just stick around a little bit longer. You know, Ty and I are going to do our debrief and we've got a lot, <laughs> a lot to talk about after this conversation. Now that's a wrap for our guests, but not for our episode. Keep listening as we share our insights and all our thoughts on what we just discussed. So you know what, Ty? Let's hop right into it. This is MTM Reflections, where we debrief our segment. We talk about the guests, we talk about our own opinions, and we talk about some facts on these topics that we know are super important to you, to us, and to the culture. That was amazing. I learned so much, and I shouldn't be surprised anymore when I learn things. Mm. But I'm like, I got a whole PhD. I'm 38. I like to read. <laughs> and she just taught me some AMH. Come on now. AMH. And just in the nuances in terms of how to receive care. I think I've gotten so used to 15 min- minute sessions. So used to, okay, I have to schedule you months in advance for the hope of, you know, to just talk to you about something. I have to have something explosive happening for me to at least be... F- felt like a priority and and yet with her it seems like that's not all that there is even in the u.s healthcare system there are beacons of hope (laughs) to show that there's true care that you can receive the other thing is no matter if we're talking about cannabis fibroids Mm. or entrepreneurship it's know your body be connected to your body and pay attention to what's going on and what she said feeling worthy that you deserve the best too. It's not just knowing, but also knowing that, you know what, it's not, it's not good enough that I know the people around me also have to recognize that I know. (laughs) And because of that, treat me as such. So I loved it. Another Mm -hmm. big takeaway for me is community. So Mm -hmm. actually this week, that'll be my wish for black women is that you have a supportive, affirming community to get you through whatever you're going through. And that community might look different depending on what it is. You might have multiple communities, you know, I always laugh with friends. We watch Insecure and think we need to have the same four friends that we talk <laughs> about everything with. But yes. it might be multiple communities depending on where you are in your journey. So that's my wish. What about that's you? That's true. My wish is, is I guess, so that we recognize that care can happen at any stage. You know, I, I hope that we empower ourselves to take charge of our bodies from as young as five <laughs> or, or 15 or 25 as we were constantly referring to 
to later in your life too and just know that it's never too late to do what it is you want to do if you have the people around you that want it for you too I love that yeah all right y'all thanks again for listening to another episode of monuments to me make sure to subscribe like review do all the things and make sure to seek help seek care for what you want on your own fertility journey Thank you for tuning into Monuments to Me. A special thank you to Revolt for creating the space for Black women to have important conversations. If you liked what you heard today, and we are so sure that you did, then subscribe, leave a review, and tell a friend to tell a friend about your new favorite podcast. Head over to Revolt.com to stay connected to all things Monuments to Me. And follow your hosts, Pi and Akila, on Instagram. The link is in the show notes. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.